from Northwest Eye Surgeons and Site Partners, I am Dr. Brett Bentz, and you're listening to The Focal Point, where we invite doctors and surgeons from the fields of ophthalmology and optometry to discuss the latest trends in medical eye care. For today's episode of The Focal Point, we discuss the topic of glaucoma filtering surgeries, tube implants, and trabeculectomy. Generally, these surgeries are for patients who have shown glaucoma progression on maximal topical therapy and have already had one or more MIG procedures. So what are the key elements from a surgeon's perspective that underpins which filtering surgery they choose? Well, let's find out. We welcome two of our glaucoma and cataract surgeons at Northwest Eye Surgeons, Dr. Bruce Cameron and Dr. Aaron Cousin, for today's podcast. Dr. Cameron had a glaucoma fellowship at the Kellogg Eye Center at the University of Michigan, and he currently practices at our office in Seattle. Thank you, Dr. Cameron, for joining us today. Thank you, Brett. Glad to be here. And we have Dr. Cousin, who did a glaucoma fellowship at the Doheny Eye Institute at the University of Southern California, and he practices at our location in Mount Vernon, and at Whatcom Eye Surgeons in Bellingham. Dr. Cousin, we appreciate you being with us today. Yeah, thank you so much, Brett. Great to be here. Okay, to start off with Dr. Cameron, who do you see is a prime candidate for a glaucoma tube implant as well as trabeculectomy surgeries? I think that assuming that the patient has failed maximum tolerated medical therapy and needs pressure-lowering treatment, uh, I would consider for a tube implant uh, a good candidate to be a patient who has had a prior failed trabeculectomy surgery, uh, one or two failed trabeculectomy surgeries, or a patient with neovascular glaucoma, or a patient with uveitic glaucoma. And I think those are uh, my primary um, thoughts on on deciding who's a candidate for which procedure. Okay. And Dr. Cousin, what are your thoughts on that question? Yeah, I think that, you know, it's interesting. There exists many different glaucoma surgeries now because there are you know, one surgery doesn't fit all patients. And so I think I agree with, with Dr. Cameron, you know, it's the patients that are, you know, not controlled after multiple medications are the most that they'll tolerate and, and laser and are still showing progression. I think one additional thing I would add is, you know, it's trying to figure out who we often talk about who are the slow progressors versus the fast progressors. And ideally, you want to catch those fast progressors because they need a much more meaningful and dramatic intervention uh, to prevent them from progressing. And so I think that those are often the patients that end up with uh, trabeculectomies or or tube shunts, and it's still kind of the gold standard of, of glaucoma surgery uh, if we really need low pressures. One of the key questions for the podcast is, as we look at severe glaucoma patients, what are 
the key variables that favor glaucoma implant surgery versus trabeculectomy, assuming you're using mitomycin C? Great. Yeah, good question. I think there's, you'll get a lot of different opinions, I think. Uh, but I think Dr. Cameron and I have a lot of similar ideas. I think for me, it depends on what the target pressure is. So for those patients that need really low pressures, like single digit pressures, it's difficult to achieve that just with tube alone. And so trabeculectomy, I think, is ideal for those that have a very aggressive pressure targets. Uh, I also usually use that as my first line treatment, except for in some of the cases that Dr. Cameron already mentioned, you know, if they've had neovascular glaucoma, Mm -hmm. uh, if they have uveitic glaucoma, anything that would cause a trabeculectomy to be more likely to scar or previous failed trabeculectomies, then I'm much more likely to do do tube shunts. and I think that I am doing some primary primary tubes, but most often, um, you know, I am going to trabeculectomy first unless they have some other reason that puts them at higher risk for for failing a trabeculectomy. Yeah. So the 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 variables I, I think are similar to what Dr. Cousin mentioned. And I typically, if it's neovascular glaucoma, I'm going to put a tube implant in uh, because uh, just of the pathophysiology involved, a tube implant will be more successful. Uh, uveitic glaucoma, uh, I'm going to put a tube implant in because of the nature of the disease. Uh, and with uveitis, it's a condition that often tends to fluctuate in severity, sometimes worse, sometimes better, sometimes it might even go away. And uh, with a tube implant, I feel that there's less risk of failure initially because of the increased inflammation that's present uh, with the uveitis, a limbal-based bleb or a bleb that's near the limbus as with a trabeculectomy, in my opinion, has a higher risk of failure than a remote bleb that's over an implant procedure back in the orbit. And uh, also, I feel that the risk of hypotony might be greater uh, in uveitic patients who've had trabeculectomy. Would you uh, say that a patient who has been on long-term chronic topical therapy, multiple medications, would they have any higher risk of failure with trabeculectomy versus tube implants? That's a good question. I I don't know what the literature might show. I feel that most patients who are having trabeculectomy are in this category where they've been on most meds because um, in this country anyway, most um, patients don't want a trabeculectomy as initial treatment. And so I, I feel that most of the patients are already on maximum tolerated medications. I do think that the it's known that there are uh, physical changes in the conjunctiva and subconjunctival tissue due to chronic use of medications, including uh, the 
effect of the preservatives. And that can increase the risk of failure of a trabeculectomy and potentially more so than a uh, tube implant for the reason that the bleb is near the limbus uh, in a trabeculectomy. And I think that's likely why most of us are using mitomycin C routinely on first-time trabeculectomies to help the success of these procedures. Yeah, I think that there, I would agree with Bruce um, that, you know, most of them are coming on maximal medical therapy. I would add, there's no evidence for this, but I do hear glaucoma surgeons talking about the newest drug or one of the newest drugs, Ropressa, because of the, the hyperemia and conjunctival injection that you get and dilated blood vessels, there has been concern whether it hasn't been studied I, as far as I'm aware, but there is concern among glaucoma surgeons whether that increases the risk of, of trabeculectomy failure. And there are some surgeons that take patients off of Ropressa for three to four weeks before they'll do a trabeculectomy, even though I don't think that's supported by any, any study. That's just kind of anecdotal, but I have heard some people talk about that. Uh, the next question comes up from time to time with referring doctors is, does the patient age play a factor in the choice you make regarding tube surgery or a trabeculectomy? In other words, younger patients versus older patients, does that weigh in on your decision? It certainly can. Uh, for example, uh, there's concern with the trabeculectomy of uh, leak and infection and endophthalmitis. And while that concern exists for a tube implant, I think the risk is less again, because of the location of the bleb. The, the trabeculectomy bleb being near the limbus, there's greater exposure, greater risk of this complication. So when a patient is very young, uh, one may want to steer towards putting in a tube because uh, of that lifetime risk of uh, endophthalmitis that's potentially greater with trabeculectomy. And uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, a much older patient, uh, say, who may be 90 or 95 years old. Um, I don't know that it's so much a choice between trabeculectomy or tube, but more of a choice of whether or not to do the surgery at all. Um, you, you have to have a conversation with the patient and, and look at their medical history and life expectancy and that type of thing uh, in considering um, how you're going to approach treatment because it's, it's, it's going to be a three-month commitment on the part of this patient where their quality of life will be greatly reduced, potentially more so with the trabeculectomy because the, the immediate post-op course with the trabeculectomy can be a bit more uh, intense than with the tube implant. Yeah, I would I definitely agree with that. Um, I have similar thoughts. And then the other thought that sometimes comes to my is the older patients that are in their you know 90s uh, we know that as you get older and are more hypertensive too that they're they may not tolerate 
hypotony very well. So I do think about hemorrhagic choroidals and, you know, whether they, you know, will have a problem, especially in the elderly patients. I'm more concerned about that. So trabeculectomies definitely can get more hypotony early on, although with bear belts, when they first open, you know, that can also happen. Uh, so I definitely think about that in, in our very elderly patients. Well, there's a lot to consider, but we have a few more minutes and we'll welcome any final thoughts that you have for the podcast. I think one thing that we didn't really touch on uh, specifically are, are the studies that were done uh, of the tube implants versus trabeculectomy as therapy in patients who either had prior failed trabeculectomy surgery uh, or uh, patients who have not had prior failed trabeculectomy, and this is primary therapy. And the the results of those studies, I think, are um, manifest in, in our both of our approaches that we've discussed tonight. Um, but primarily, in, in my mind, the summary of those studies is that uh, trabeculectomy often provides lower pressure earlier on fewer meds than a uh, tube implant, and that's whether it's there's a prior failed trabeculectomy or whether this is primary surgery in a patient who's not had trabeculectomy. So trabeculectomies give lower pressure with fewer meds initially. Uh, the flip side of that is they can have uh, greater complications, such as hypotony, for example. And uh, the other interesting point that I've noticed in the longer-term studies, say five years out, is that it all tends to equalize that the bar belts and the trabeculectomies have about the same pressure and also the same number of medications. So in the long run, they, they tend to be pretty equally effective. One caveat is that patients who, in these studies, who had presenting pressures higher than 25 tended to have greater success than trabeculectomy patients. So the two implants did better or had a greater rate of success than trabeculectomy for patients whose presenting pressure was over 25. Thank you, Dr. Cameron. Excellent to bring up the tube versus trap study and the importance that that has towards making a decision uh, for our patients. Dr. Cousin, do you have any final thoughts? In looking at the, the studies, both looking at the primary a primary surgery or even as a secondary surgery, you know, these, these surgeries definitely have a, a huge place in treatment of glaucoma, especially for those that, you know, need pretty significant reduction. Um, you know, it's, it's disappointing sometimes as a glaucoma specialist, when you kind of look at these studies and you see on average, pretty much in all of the studies you know, they have about somewhere in the ballpark of a 10% failure per year. And so close to 40 to 50% of patients, you know, at five years um, have some amount of failure of the, of the glaucoma surgery. And so I think that, um, you know, overall, though, we're still pretty successful in, 
know, they may need other things done down the road, but overall we're pretty successful in eventually controlling, uh, controlling the, the pressures. Um, I think it's nice that we live in a day now where there's so many different options because uh, we can really treat patients in a more customized fashion uh, because not everyone needs these larger surgeries, but I'm certainly glad that we have these, these two bigger surgeries that are kind of still the gold standard uh, because there are definitely going to be groups of people that, that that is the only intervention that we have that will, that will be successful for them. And so, but I think it's nice now that there's just lots of different options and we can kind of tailor our, our treatment depending on really what the, what the patient might need and what their life expectancy is and what, you know, what will keep them seeing as long as is needed and as long as we possibly can. Well, thank you both for your thoughts uh, regarding management of severe glaucoma. Um, being a progressive chronic disease, uh, more of us are managing these patients and we do the best we can, as you've mentioned, with topical therapy to start, but we have other options for intervention when needed. And so it have been very helpful to actually identify from your perspectives how surgery can benefit these patients. So again, thank you very much for joining us for the podcast tonight. That's this week's edition of The Focal Point. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and tune in next week for another episode and update on medical eye care. I'm your host, Dr. Brett Benz, and thank you for joining us.